0: Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at a, a, a subject today. We talked last week about adultery and lust and lust of the eyes and, and Jesus tells us, he talks about it there and he, he wants to work in our hearts to deal with these issues, these things of life and, and especially in the world that we live in today, how we struggle with so many things. But we also saw that that Jesus said, you know, if you need to take serious action, if you need to take, you know, decisive, drastic even action in your home or in your life or in your heart, then you need to do that. If it means getting rid of the computer, get rid of it. If it's a stumbling block to you. If it's cable TV, if it's TB. Cable TV. Cable TV. If you need to do something, if it means not going to a certain place anymore because it's not good for you, then don't go there anymore. Sometimes we need to make drastic, serious choices. But on the positive side, you know, we're called to fill our minds with better things. We're called to stay busy and, and, and serving and working. And we're called to ask God by His Spirit to help us. Now, today's subject is divorce. You know, Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about difficult issues, right? We saw the Bible talks about so many of the important things in life, uh, the eternal life, eternity, forever. He talks about all these things, but, but Jesus wasn't afraid to tackle these issues. And today's topic is divorce. And really, it's not just divorce, because it's really divorce and marriage. Really, they, they, it's all kind of wrapped up uh, together. How many can I, can I just ask you, how many of you today are directly affected by divorce, if you just raise your hand? Directly affected by divorce. Most people in here, directly affected by divorce. That's the reality of it. That's the reality of the situation. And again, as in the previous sections of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't afraid to bring it to a deeper level. It's not just about the law and what the law says. This is what you can get away with. This is what you can do. This is how the law works and everything. He brings it to a much deeper level in terms of what about the heart of the whole thing? What about my heart? What about your heart? We'll see he gets to that in this this subject. Now, there's two passages we're going to read today. Number one is here in Matthew Matthew chapter 5, and then we're going to read in Matthew chapter 19. Kind of similar passage, a little more detail in 19. We're going to look at both of them and and kind of see what Jesus is trying to say to us today. Matthew 5, verse 31, it says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus is now quoting from, uh, does anybody know without looking at your study Bible notes? Deuteronomy chapter... You looked. You shouldn't. I said, don't do that. Deuteronomy chapter 24, and again they were going to the legalism of this, the law of it. Well, this is what the law says, and I can and I can read it a certain way, and they were using it as a justification for divorce. But when you go back and read that passage, we're not going to read it today. We have others that we're going to look at. You see that what Jesus was, or what what um, the Lord was saying in Deuteronomy 24 was to think twice before divorcing. That's what he was really saying. He was really regulating divorce, putting more constraint on it than just saying it's all wide open and go ahead and, 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 and do it. What he was saying there, and you can read it at another time, it says you can't go backwards. Once you go forward in this area, you can't go backwards. Because they were saying, you know, if, if uh, somebody divorced uh, this person, they went and got remarried, and then that person uh, divorced them, you know, you're not going to be able to go back to the first one. You're not going to be able to go back to that first one that you were married to. You can't take that one. He was giving guidelines is what was happening. Again, and I, what I've, what I've uh, been thinking a lot about, and I read this in 2 uh, Corinthians, is that it's, it's not the letter of the law, because the letter of the, the law, what? Anybody? What does it say? The letter of the law? Kills. But the spirit of the law, what? Brings life. So it's not just following the letter of the law to, you know, every jot and tittle, but what is the heart of it? What is, what is the word of God trying to say? Now, there were two camps at that time, and probably you could say even now. There were two camps. There were the conservative view that were saying in, in Deuteronomy 24 that the only reason you could get divorced was for some kind of immorality, some kind of sexual sin, breaking of that uh, vow, that covenant. But the liberal view was basically you could kind of see just about anything that would qualify any reason whatsoever. Now, human, human nature being what it is, you tell me, guess which one prevailed? The liberal one. No-fault divorce. Divorce. Easy to just break it for any kind of frivolous reasons. But Jesus, what I, what I think the heart of what he's saying is here, he brings us back to the seriousness of it, the sanctity of marriage, and that this is something that God has given as a blessing to humankind. The USA, though, the USA, some say that the USA has the highest divorce rate in all the world. And, you know, you can look at statistics and some people, you know, question about the statistics. But, you know, in, in uh, you know, what, what happens, and this is how they come up with the numbers that, let's say this year there were, you know, 2 million marriages. Well, there are also two, uh, 1 million divorces. That's why they're saying one of, out of every two uh, marriages ends in divorce. Well, that's not necessarily two for all the ones that got married in the past. But if you look at what happens in a given year, that's kind of what is happening. But divorce, as a cure, someone says, is far worse than the disease. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. You know, this isn't the answer. Someone said that, in, in a, New York, a New York Times article that trial marriages do not increase the chance of a marriage lasting, uh, lasting or being successful. In fact, those who live together before marriage separate and divorce in significantly greater numbers than those who go directly to the altar. You, there's so many weird things going on with this, you know. Uh, we, well, we're, we, we realize that marriage is serious. So what we're going to do is live together before we get married, so that way, just in case we we haven't actually gotten married and we can get out of it much easier. Well, you know, they, they have found and the studies have shown that if you live together before you get married, your chances of getting divorced are much, much higher than if you just get married. That's the facts of it. Why? Because that's the attitude, well, you know what, I can, if, I can, if, if you can get out and get away with it and go away before, well, you know, your attitude doesn't really change. You can just get out and go away after. It's not a very high view of marriage if that's what we try and that's what we do. There are three, let me tell you this, this is very important, now pay attention here. There are three chief causes of divorce in America. Men, women, and marriage. Did you get that? Look at at verse 32. It says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Adultery. Jesus, obviously, would be found more in the, the conservative camp of, of the people of that day, obviously. But Jesus, he kind of, uh, again, limits it. But again, it's not the letter of the law here that we're talking about. He's talking about how important marriage is on the positive side. But he talks about the kinds of things that happen when we, when we're, when we just have easy divorce, Let's make it clear, though, here. He's not mandating that it has to end in divorce. Even, mar- even marital unfaithfulness does not have to end in divorce. He's not saying that it has to. But Jesus knows the fruit and the pain and the hurt of it. And how many people are affected by, mar- by divorce? My parents were divorced. I know the, the pain and the, the anguish of it. Not as a child knowing some of the reasons, and I and, and I think that they, you know, looking back now, understanding more, it was the right thing to do for my mother to get divorced from my father. It was the right thing to do. But I still know the anguish and the pain of growing up and not understanding. Some say, well, you know, if we're going to stay together for the sake of the kids, well, you know, that's not such a bad motivation, really. Really. Divorce. Divorce is a tearing apart of what God has joined together. It's a, it's a ripping apart. If you can imagine a, a piece of something that is very hard to tear, but it's like this tearing apart. And there's no easy way for that to just go away. It doesn't just disappear. Marriage is not easy we're going to talk in a little bit about you know those that have been divorced and and you know what how we how we you know look at that marriage is not easy marriage is not easy but is divorce the answer that's the question is divorce the answer we're talking about people now in all different situations some that are single some that are uh... single wanting to be married those that are married those that are are divorced and, and all these, I understand there's people in all different categories here. But let's look at the heart of it. Is divorce the answer in all the cases that we find? And, and, and so often what happens is that remarriage occurs. Remarriage occurs. And what I have seen through the years is that <coughs> we face the same issues that we faced in many cases that we didn't face in the first one. Many of the same issues come up. And I'm not saying that there, is not valid, there are not valid reasons for, for a couple to divorce. There definitely, definitely are. But Jesus is talking here and he's dealing here now with the fact that it just got thrown wide open. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. We'll see. Matthew 19 verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful? Again, they're looking at this legalistic thing and they're looking at, you know, what can I get away with? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Not just any reason, but any and every reason. See, that's kind of the where, where it was at there. And, of course, they're trying to get him to take one side or the other so there can be people against him and people for him and, and get it all stirred up that way. But the, the liberal camp, you know, it, it, that's really the way it was. If she burns the toast, you can get divorced. If she talks bad about your mother, I would be probably in trouble right now. If that's the case, and I want to say this goes both ways—not just the man. Mark's gospel talks about the woman divorcing the husband too. This goes both ways—not just the man, you know, uh, divorcing the wife, but the wife divorcing the husband. Uh, some of the things that happen nowadays—and you, you laugh about some of these things—but you know, if you put the toilet paper roll on the wrong way, you could end up in divorce court, right? Some of the most silly things that that start out like this end up being these giant things, but it's really the little things that start to get you, the little foxes that that run in and start to tear things up and and nibble and gnaw at this relationship. Look at verse 4 there in chapter 19. He says, haven't you read? Jesus was telling these, these people, the Pharisees, who were supposed to be very very religious, very spiritual. He says, haven't you read, don't you read your Bibles? He says that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus, He goes right back to the beginning. He goes back to Genesis, and and you can't go any further back than that, right? That wasn't even part of the law. That was part of creation. This is the way God set it up. This is the way God ordained it. This is the way God designed it to be. God came up with it. That's why, you know, there's so many people now redefining what marriage is. Well, you know... Just throw God out of the picture and you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. But if God is creator, as he is, and if God is the one who designed marriage as he did, then don't you think we should read what it says? Jesus said, didn't you read what it says? Haven't you read the Bible? Haven't you read Genesis chapter 1, which he quotes, God made them male and female? Haven't you read Genesis chapter 2? For this reason a man will leave his... Father and mother and be united to his wife. One woman, one man for life. That was his plan, okay? That was his plan. That's simply the way that he set it up. Now, from Adam and Eve, this is interesting. Someone pointed this out. For Adam and Eve, divorce wasn't, wasn't only wrong, but it really was impossible, right? There was nobody else. But when I, when I read that, I thought, you know what, that's maybe the way that we should think. That, that once you enter into this, there is no one else. There is no one else. They, they couldn't look around and say, oh, over here, over there. No, there wasn't anybody else. But I think that's what God's plan was for, for marriage. That this is it. There's no one else. Don't go looking. Don't think about it. There is no one else. In the book of Malachi, a, a, a verse that's quoted um, where God says, you know, I hate divorce. You have, to, you have to read the verses before that because he says this. He says, you know, you, you, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? they were coming and they were bringing all these offerings and praying and getting all spiritual and everything, and you come and and the Lord was like, uh, you know, ignoring them. Well, He wasn't listening to them. And they say, well, why? Like, what's the problem? This is what He says. He says, it's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she's your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself and your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth, or the wife of your, or the husband of your youth. He says, "I hate divorce." There was something going on in these relationships, and and and, and it even affected their relationship with God. Now. If we're not treating each other right in this marriage relationship, don't think about going to the prayer meeting and and praying in front of people and showing people how spiritual you are and everything. When you're treating your wife or your husband like junk, God's saying, hey, wait a minute, you're breaking faith with your spouse, the wife of your youth, the husband of your youth. He says, I hate divorce. And kind of of, that's what he's saying is that's that's where it kind of begins and that's where it kind of ends up. This is in Malachi chapter 2. What God has joined together. Jesus quotes it here in in Matthew 19 from Genesis chapter 2. Let man not separate. Let man not separate. Look at verse 7. It says, Why then? They asked. Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus corrected them, first of all. They said, why did Moses command? Jesus said, Moses permitted. He didn't command it. He permitted, he allowed it. But the question they were asking, well, you know, if, if this is the deal, why did Moses come along, and speaking for the Lord, of course, why did Moses give that option at all? Why did he permit it at all? Well, the truth was that Moses was raising the standard. He was, a, he was not encouraging it. And, and someone has said that before that point, a man could divorce his wife merely by publicly saying that's what he was going to do. I divorce her, I divorce her, I divorce you. Say it three times and you're all done. Walk away. Moses was at least saying, listen, you can't do that without at least getting it in writing. You can at least get serious about it and do it in writing. And to do that, you had to, you know, get the rabbi. You had to get, you know, people. You had to do it publicly in front of these uh, certain witnesses. But Jesus said it was not this this way from the beginning. It's not part of the plan. So what is the problem? What does He say the problem is here? You see it there in verse eight. He said He he permitted, He allowed it because why? Because your hearts were hard. Again, this is the the spirit of what Jesus is talking about here. That it, that it's. We got to get to the heart. We got to get to the heart. I would venture to say, I would venture to say that if you look at divorce and you, know, and you know specific cases in your own life, that at some point or another there came in a hardness of heart. There's, there came in some kind of hardness that, that either pushed this person to somebody else or or broke the, 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 the harmony that, that was there in the home. Hardness of heart in one way or another, that's really the root. One or, or the other, or both hearts get hard. That's what Jesus said here. Someone said this understanding the hardness of human hearts, God knew that some marriages would be so destructive and marred by sin that He permitted divorce, even though it was not His ideal. He allowed it hardness of heart. Look at verse 9. He says, I tell you that except that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery, sexual sin breaking the vows extremely extremely damaging again he's not saying that that's what has to happen, but he's he, again he's bringing it back and he's saying, listen, you can't just get divorced for any and every reason you can't just get divorced because you're quote unquote you know incompatible or, or quote-unquote, you know, you can't, uh, you're can't. having trouble with finances and, and you can't take it anymore. And, you know, is that really the answer? Look at verse 10, though. The disciples, they step in. The Pharisees are involved in this. But then the disciples steps in. They step in and they said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. If this is the way it is, if it's a, like a life sentence... I remember hearing a song by a country western singer, Christian guy. He said, you know, that, that marriage isn't a life sentence. But that's the kind of, you know, that's the way some people look at it. It's not a life sentence. But they're saying if it is, then we're better off to stay, to stay single. They, they really, they kind of, in one, on one level, they really grasped that what Jesus was saying was that this was a lifetime thing. And if there's no way we can get out of it, whoa, it's better, maybe we better just stay single. But that's kind of missing the mark, isn't it? Because that's not what he's saying. He's saying that that it's such a a valuable, it's such a blessing, it's such a good thing that we need to look at it for what it is. And if we do it his way. Now, for some people, I think that's probably a good good road to take. If you know your own heart, you know the hardness of your own heart or whatever, for some it's better not to get married. It's better to, to, you know, say, whoa. I want to say that it's not a sin to not get married. You know, there's a, there, you know, and it's, I think I've heard that it's even more of a pressure in church, though, that you know, that that it's all about married couples and families or whatever. But you know what? It's not a sin not to be married. In fact, the Bible speaks very highly about it. Paul the apostle speaks very highly about it. He says, "I wish all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. Some to stay single, some to be married." Look what Jesus says. We finish this little section here. He says, Jesus replied, Not everyone, in answer to their question, can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, and others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven, and the one who can accept this should accept it. Only some can accept it. Only some can go there with God's gifts and God's grace. Some are called to be single. And that's a good thing. That's, that's not a bad thing. But we need to accept and know what God's given us and what, what He has. And this whole subject of, of marriage and divorce, understanding that what God's plan is, is is that it would be one man, one woman for life. Someone said that we turn to the Bible and and we find that God requires chastity before marriage or faithfulness before, faithfulness after, and lifelong unions of wives and husbands without easy divorce as an escape. But listen what he says. He says marriage is the most intimate of all relationships, and in marriage the most piercing pain can be experienced. And it follows that it is the relationship above all others that must be upheld by that 77 times 7 forgiveness about which Jesus speaks in the very passage just before this. See that? Look back at chapter 18 there in Matthew. The last thing he says is forgiving. talks about forgiving 77 times or 70 times 7. It takes a lot of forgiveness. I've been married for, uh, let's see, 30 something years. And you know what? There's a lot of forgiveness that needs to take place, you know? And I'm talking both ways. I, I say this, and, I, and I, I believe this, that without the Lord's help in my life, in our lives, and our marriage, that we probably would have been divorced, just knowing. My wife's stubborn. I mean, my own stubbornness. <laughs> Knowing our both, both of our personalities and how, you know, you, you cope with things and deal with things. But you know what? If you can't forgive, you're going to have a hard time. And that's when the hard hearts come in. The hardness of unforgiveness in the heart. That's where God's help comes in, where we have to ask God to help us forgive, help us to, to let things go, that need to be let go. Look for reasons to to restore and, and renew and make the relationship good instead of excuses to get out, excuses to leave. Richard Halverson, who was like the chaplain for the Senate for many years, he said that every struggle that we have that could be used as an excuse to separate or divorce is the very material God wants us to use to create intimacy in our marriage. In other words, God wants to use even those difficult things to to bring us actually closer together. Say, well, I'd rather it not be that way. Billy Graham said that divorce is an easy escape, many think. But the guilt and loneliness they experience can even be more tragic than living with their problem. It's not necessarily the answer. God help us. God help us in our marriages. But what about the case where we've been divorced already? What about after? What about if it's already happened? And again, you know, this idea, well, I've got to go back to the first, you know, one I was married to, and, and you know, in so many cases, that's not even possible, first of all, but if you read Deuteronomy 24, it's not necessarily the right thing to do anyways. But some people are, are, you know, pushing that and, and, you know, you go to a church and you find condemnation about it. Well, you go to a church to find forgiveness. And there is forgiveness after divorce, just as there is in marriage and before. There's no difference. You see, I'm totally convinced that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. As some would say, you know, teach and like, you know, you've got this scarlet letter on you now. No, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Rejecting Jesus Christ is. Rejecting Him forever and ever. That's what we can't find uh, forgiveness for. There's mercy and there's grace. There's mercy and there's grace. Sometimes divorce is really the only answer. This one commentator said, we live, in, we live in an imperfect, sinful world. And there will always be situations in which a Christian will have to choose the lesser of two evils. In some circumstances, this could be divorce. Some circumstances. But it's not just wide open, but in some circumstances there are. But, but for, for maybe for you, if you've, you're in that situation, and even if, if it wasn't for a good reason, if it wasn't for something really, really you know, devastating, the Lord's forgiveness and mercy are here. They're new every morning. doesn't matter, you see. It's not the unforgivable sin. It's no different than any other sin. His forgiveness is new, real, right, today. There was a woman who went to a lawyer, and she says, I want to get a divorce. She says, I really hate my husband. I want to hurt him. No hardness of heart there. Give me some advice. In addition to wanting to get the gold and really get him, she was wondering about some other way she might do him in. And, you know... Isn't that true? You, you hear about it in divorce, you know. They're not just going after the stuff, but they really, they've really they been hurt so badly. I've seen, it, I've seen it over and over. People hurt so, so badly, they want to hurt back. I'm going to hurt him. I'm going to hurt her just as bad as she or he hurt me. The attorney, he said, look, you're, you're going to divorce the guy anyway, so for three months, don't criticize him. Speak well of him. Build him up. Every time he does something nice, commend him for it, if he does anything nice. Tell him what a great guy he is and do that for three months. And after he thinks that he has your confidence and love, hit him with the news and it'll hurt more. Set him up for it. And the woman thought, I can't go wrong on this. I'm going to divorce him anyways. Why should, you know, why should I speak badly about him? I'm going to speak only well of him. And she tried it. She complimented him. She worked at trying to to uh, to do these things in this marriage, and it says that it says that what happened after three months, they forgot about the divorce and they went on a second honeymoon. It's so it's a lot to do with what we put into it, isn't it? There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of joy. So these different categories of of uh, we all fall into different categories in our lives at different times. You know, if you're single and, and God's called you to be, even if it's only just for now, that's, that's a good place to be. Let God use you and, and, and give yourself more completely to serving the Lord. That's what Paul said. You have more opportunity. You have more availability. If you're single, to, to, to show up and to be involved, to help. To do, you know, whatever you can do. Maybe if you're single and you're contemplating marriage and it's something that you're looking ahead to, understand this is serious. Very serious. God says it's one man, one woman for life. Maybe if you're married, you're in that camp and you're contemplating divorce. Isn't that always the way? The single people are always contemplating marriage and the the married people are contemplating the divorce. Well, if I could just get out, if I could just be with that other person, if I could just... now the Lord says, hey, there's nobody else. This is serious. Or maybe you're in that camp where you've been through a marriage and it, it's broken and there's pain and there's hurt. There's forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace, mercy from God. Haven't you read, Jesus said to them, didn't you read your Bible? Go back and read it, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Whose view of marriage do we want to have, his or the view of the world? That's the question. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that, though also challenges us and and even confronts us, Lord, you're... You say that your word would do that, but also instructs us and teaches us the way we should go, how we should look at things, that we would have a a worldview that is based upon your word and not just upon the changing whims of this world system around us. Teach us, Lord. I pray for those that are are single, Lord, that that you would give them um, contentment in this state that you have them. Maybe it's not forever. Maybe for some it is. And that's okay. Lord, give them contentment. Give them help. Show them their purposes in life. Those that are looking ahead to marriage, I pray you would would show them the, the reality of it and the seriousness of it, and they better look and think twice. There's no turning back. Those that are in a marriage, Lord, I pray you to help them and, and, and all these areas that, that we need help in in our marriages. Marriage is not easy, and we need your help, Lord. That threefold cord will not be easily or quickly broken with you in the middle. For those that we've been through the, the uh, breakup and the, the agony and the, the hurt of breaking that cord, I pray for your forgiveness and mercy and grace, Lord and hope for the future. Lord, we're all affected by this. We pray that you would help us, Lord, we pray. Bless our time and fellowship later, or those that uh, can be a part of our uh, fellowship time at Goddard Park. Bless that time as well, Lord. Keep us in your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.